you know, I from from a marketing standpoint, there's sort of three three rules I always think about with any brand that we work with. And, you know, Peloton's a great example of it. But there's there's sort of three laws, like three laws of marketing. And so the first is it has to be simple. Like the idea you have to take a complex proposition like an indoor exercise equipment with a leaderboard with community you can take live classes you can take on-demand classes welcome to innovation and leadership where i interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers elite special operations soldiers startup ceos who sold their companies for billions of dollars pro athletes hollywood filmmakers really as many different kinds of experts as i can the whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I've got Jason Harris. He's the co-founder and CEO of Mechanism, a pretty amazing design creative agency I've heard about for years. He's best-selling author. Uh, you should check out his book, The Soulful Art of Persuasion. Jason, I kind of want to just jump back into it. You've got these 11 habits. You kind of got this this breakdown, the original, generous, empathetic, and soulful categories here. I think my first question specifically for challenger brands, people trying to break into an established industry and, and do something different instead of just compete, right? On this, you know, on the playing terms they are probably skewed against you, right? Yeah. How do you navigate the so different that investors can't see the vision and won't give you the money in the first place from the like, like you need to do enough so that they'll recognize, hey, this has legs. And and yet like to do things like, anyways, I guess my question is about this competing force of like, you need to be close enough to other people so that the investor doesn't have to like fully get everything. And yet if you're too much like your competition, you know, I mean, why even start? You're just going to get trounced by trying to play their game. Yeah. So any any thoughts about navigating that like, original enough to not to be different instead of better, but to not scare off investors. Yeah. So for, is that, that's for like a company starting out? Yeah. Yeah. For startups. Yeah. You know, I think it's, I can only, I can relay it to my experience in, in trying to write a book and trying to get a publisher to sign a new author, challenger brand, right? No, no experience as an author. I had to write a, a proposal that said this book, has an element of this best-selling book and this best-selling book. So it's this plus this, and here's the other white space that it covers that no other book has covered. And that's what makes it original. So it's almost like it's similar to the conversation about doing free work for brands to build your case study so you can get the other well good paying brands when you're starting out. It's similar in saying it's a safe bet because it's similar to these books that did well, but here's the white space. And I think challenger brands... In, in a large part are similar in that, you know, for investors, it's something that I think is secure, but it has this whole new spin on it or this whole other twist. And a lot of what comes down to brands being successful is the name and the look, you know, the name and the look is really like how you package up your idea. So it's really a combination of security because it's not completely foreign white space. So it's original. And then the look of it that makes it, that's part of the branding, the identity that builds that brand makes it, you know, successful, but you know, a, a crap product is going to be a crap product, no matter how you polish it, you know, no, how, no matter how many, you know, there's that famous saying that the, the worst thing for a bad product is great advertising because it gets people there. And then they realize that the thing sucks 
So yeah, I don't know if that did that kind of answer your your question. Not yeah. fully. Yeah, you know, I think I think my next question though comes from Soulful. This idea of the importance of skill hunting. Yeah. Can you can you talk about that for startups for challenger brands? Yeah, sure. So you know, I relate I relate being skillful. You know, one 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 interesting thing is there was a a, a Gallup poll recently about the most respected person in, in in America, and it was, you know, near the top of the list was Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks is so well regarded and well respected because he's so proficient and skilled at his craft of acting and he chooses really good roles and he chooses really smart characters with variety to play. And so we just assume if Tom Hanks is in something, it's, it's going to be great and it's going to be quality and he's super skilled. And so part of being soulful is combining what you're good at your skill. So you might be great at, I mean, it sounds like you do sort of three things with investments and media and, and, and advisors and coaching or whatever. But let's just say you were really, the investment part is something that you're really skilled at that most people don't have that skill. So you would take your skill, this is what soulful, what I define soulful by, you would take your, what you're good at skill, and then you would couple that with something that you care about. And then you would do something to make the world a better place. So maybe you care about financial literacy. So you think everyone should know, have basic understanding of how the financial markets work. So you would take your skill with something you care about. Maybe it's for underprivileged youth or for, you know. So 10 years ago, we started a charity called Child Rescue Association that combats child sex trafficking. Oh, wow. We got like a bunch of like special ops guys that help with undercover rescue missions. And we do prevention campaigns with foster kids and high schools and stuff. That's amazing. So that's a soulful piece for you right there. So I had a, I had a friend that I talk about in the book in, in London, who was, this happened to me too in advertising and maybe this happened to you, but he was a barber and he realized that's my skill, but what, how am I going to, what else am I going to do? That's all I'm going to do is cut hair. He started going out and cutting at his lunch break, homeless people's hair and make him feel really dignified. Yeah. I've seen a YouTube video about this yeah, guy. Yeah, that guy, this guy, Josh Combs. Yeah. And so he, he started doing that. And then he did it one day, he took off work. Then he started doing it for weeks. Then he started traveling around and doing it. And then he ended up getting paid to speak about this. And that be- he became really a guy that cut homeless hair and gave them, you know, tell their stories and videoed it and made people feel a little more dignified. And then he would get paid to go speak about it, which he ended up making more money than when he was cutting hair. And so that is a soulful example of taking a skill and doing something outside himself that also benefits him. It made him a more influential person before he was just a barber, right? And as an ad guy, I was just working with brands. I started doing, I did a a campaign called It's On Us with a company with the Biden Obama administration. We started in 2014 to help end sexual assault on college campuses called It's On Us. And that was very successful. We still work on it. And that led to creating another nonprofit where, where agencies can do pro bono work. And that to me, same thing as like, oh, I'm just a barber. Oh, I'm just an ad man. I realized, well, I can build, if I can build brands, for companies, I can also build brands that can do good things in the world and use the same principles. And so that to me is what applying skill plus inspiration and that equals soulful. And I think everyone, every entrepreneur needs to be thinking that way. They have to be thinking about their business and then something else they can do outside of their business because 
It creates stories that you can talk about, makes your employees feel like they're giving back and doing something. It warms your soul. And it it's just helps, helps if everyone did that, if every entrepreneur did something good to give back and didn't just worry about their own pleasure and money and status, the world would be a, a much better place. So that's what I mean by, by soulful. And then skill hunting to me is, is a little bit of a, of a tangent, but it's every two or three years trying to learn a new skill and not becoming Tom Hank, the Tom Hanks of acting, you know, or becoming the Jess Larson of investments, but, or, you know, or the Jason Harris of advertising becoming okay at something different. And it keeps your mind sharp. So I picked up, you know, learning how to play the bass, boxing, uh, writing, you know, how to write a book. Those types of things, every like two or three years, trying to learn a little bit of a new skill to become s- semi-decent at it, I think is important. So that's that's what I mean by skill hunting. It's developing passions and trying to create proficiency and more things than just what you do on a daily basis. Might be snowboarding. You know, at one point for me, it was snowboarding. And yeah, I'm trying to bring that back. But anyway, I digress. No, I love it. You know, let's talk about Peloton for a minute. Sure. You know, such such as, you know, standout success story. What what do you guys feel like you did different? What did they do different that that others haven't done? Or what's what is what's any principles from the Peloton success story you'd pull out? Well, I think, you know, we we just we just helped advertise a, a really fantastic product. And so, you know, John John Foley, the the one one of the founders and the CEO, he just had this idea that he stuck to of building this superior product. And the idea behind it was not just, you know, basically doing spinning at home. And now they have more products. Of course, they have like a treadmill and and other products. They have a digital app. But his idea was to build a community through the set you know, through the interface. And it's really a tech company story. And by building community and allowing members to contact each other and having a really vibrant social network, he built, his idea was to build this community of support to make people more active and, you know, more and more in shape and better at fitness. And the idea, he just was not, he did not waver. And that idea was expensive to make expensive to buy and expensive to run but he had this idea and he just was a you know he was a challenger and he stuck with it and became you know what peloton is today and the lesson that we learned and you know and still working with them is that you can do in advertising you can build a brand and do direct response work you don't have to say i'm going to invest in building a brand so people know it creating awareness then I'm going to try to come in for the sale. I'm going to come in with like the left hook after they are aware of my brand. You can actually build a brand and sell at the same time. And I think that was a lesson, you know, my years in advertising, it was sort of always one or the other. It was like a really crappy direct response ad or clickbait or, you know, low cost or value or whatever this discount, whatever it might be, that type of work. Or it was the beautiful anthemic, this is what we stand for work. And I think what what we learned through that experience, because the only way you sell 
the product is through driving traffic to the website for people to buy it. There isn't a retail element to it. And so I think I learned that you can actually do both. You can build a sophisticated high-end brand and sell uh, the product at the same time. And um, they don't have to be, be mutually exclusive. I think it also showed, you know, most of the advertising now is, is digital and online and obviously, but the traditional means of advertising can still be useful in growing really quickly. You know, getting, getting a big profile through television or outdoor is, can still be effective. And I think it's underutilized today because people just assume there's so much waste with it. So hopefully that answers the question. It does, but it brings up so many more questions. I can't decide between which one. Uh, next. All right. All right. So let's start with community. You know, you think in many ways, it's, it's no surprise humans like connecting. You know, I think about yeah. my buddy, the first time I heard about Peloton, this a good friend of mine, securities lawyer in New York, tells me about this, like what I, what sounded like a super expensive exercise bike. And he's like, so excited to tell me about it. I'm like, why are you this excited about a piece of exercise equipment? You know? And then I'm just thinking like, man, that is way too much yeah. for another piece of exercise equipment. Right. Except that he actually used it. Do you know what I mean? Like if you add up all the right. crap that we've all bought over the years out of good intentions, that then like sat around for a while until we, you know, took it to the Salvation Army or whatever we did with it. Right. Yeah. That community and that, that connection factor, if it actually gets used, it's worth all those other pieces put together in my observation. That's actually right. Yeah, totally. So I guess my point is you think about something like that. Like, again, we, in the last episode, we talked about storytelling. All of us have been told do better storytelling and yet so many don't do it. You look at community, right? Like humans are hardwired for connection. It's no shocker that paying the price for a great community would have some really awesome staying power for your, for your brand, for your organization. And yet so many people do it half-heartedly or they say, Oh yeah, we should get to that next year. We, you know, we don't really have the money. Right. And do you have any thoughts about like paying the price for community or biting the bullet or anything like that? No, I just think it's, you know, I, from, from a marketing standpoint, there's sort of three, three rules I always think about with any brand that we work with. And, you know, Peloton's a great example of it, but there's, there's sort of three laws, like three laws of marketing. And so the first is it has to be simple. Like the idea, you have to take a complex proposition like an indoor exercise equipment with a leaderboard, with community, you can take live classes, you can take on-demand classes, You can, you know, do things off the bike. You can do things on the bike. You can choose what time you can choose the instructor. You can choose the music preference, take a complex proposition like that, simplify the offering. And, and that that's like step one in marketing is like, take whatever you're trying to advertise or whatever brand you're trying to build. And you have to make it super simple that that makes it sticky and memorable. The second rule is consistency. You have, you can't keep changing the message. You have to keep a consistent message over time, a consistent look, a consistent identity, because the more time someone sees it, the more uh, it gets sort of in their memory banks. And if you have a new look or a new message all the time, you're going to, your brand's not going to be, be memorable. So it has to be simple, consistent. And the third is community. And so community is critical because if you have a strong community for your product, if it's, you know, you have members, whatever it might be, they become, they can do your marketing for you. They can become an extension of your marketing team. And when you have the power of that at scale, then you have to work a lot less harder because you're, 
community is believing in the product. They're supporting each other. And it takes a minute to build that community and you have to give them an outlet and yet they have to be managed and you have to be generous with that community for that community to build. But those three rules, any entrepreneur and any brand should be applying, which is simplicity, consistency, and community. And so Peloton would not be Peloton if they didn't focus on the community and they only focused on selling the hardware and the instructors and the leaderboard because they focused on community. That's why people don't mind spending thousands of dollars on something that they put in their house. I just wrote those down. I'm super glad you shared those. Oh, good. Maybe one follow-up question is for a founder, for a startup CEO who they're so in the thick of what they've built, any principles to help them simplify because there's this just urge to tell them every great thing about your stuff and all the details. And like, how, how do you encourage constraint? Like, how do you restraint? I mean, how do you encourage yeah. restraint? How do you get yourself to be simple when you want to tell them everything? Well, I think you have, I think that's why I would, this is my advice, right? It's why I think, and I'm an agency guy, so I'm totally biased. It's why I think brands building their in-house group without another outside thought leadership company or agency, they'll always do better. And, you know, brands build a lot of in-house capabilities as they should. You also need an outside voice. You need an outside partner. You need someone with perspective. And I would say the same thing to a CEO of a startup or an entrepreneur building a business. You have to figure out a way, whether it's family, friends, someone you hire, a consultant, whoever it might be, an agency, you need to have someone that isn't that is outside your brain that is has perspective and can understand what you're trying to sell in the whole spectrum of the world and not in what you've built and the hours you put into it and all the reasons to believe and all the product benefits and all of those things that you think are important to cram in there that no one's going to remember those things no one's going to care about it So I would just say, figure out a way quickly to find a trusted outside perspective and listen to that outside perspective. Don't think you know it all because you built it because you know why you built it and you know the ins and outs, but no one cares about that. You know, they care about the simple benefit to the, everyone cares about themselves. What is the simple benefit to me as a person, either partnering or working or consumer, that's all people care about. And you need outside perspective to do that. If you don't have outside perspective, you're going to be, you know, running uphill. Yeah, it's great. It is funny how all of us humans with our own problems, we, we sit and stew and we go back and forth. And then our, our buddy tells us their problem. We can immediately see what they should do about it. Right? Yeah, I know. And, and you get frustrated because they can't see it. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, so true. Well, listen, you, you guys have done something that as a percentage, very few entrepreneurs have done, but very, very few agencies have done um, this, you know, growing to 200 employees and this, the success you've got, what do you attribute that success to? What do you think you've done that, that other people haven't? Well, I, you know, one, there's sort of a, a philosophy. I had a, I had a company before this that I did on my own. And, you know, I had, a, I had a buddy in Atlanta that I sort of partnered with on it, but it was, it was pretty much me. And I find for me, and this is not true for every entrepreneur, I find that I'm more successful with like a band with other partners that complement what I do. And we don't step on each other's toes because we're not trying to do the same things. But that, that, that partnership is really important to long-term success. And if, 
if what you know, I got burned out in my first company after about two years because I was trying to do everything myself and that's not sustainable. And I'm not good at all those different things. I'm only good at a handful of things. And so for me, success in a company has come down to picking the right partners and us sticking together. You know, I guess bands always break up because someone wants more than the other person or someone wants to stand out more or, or drugs. But I think, you know, by and large, for me, I would attribute our success to different personalities with different skills sticking together. I don't think we'd be where we are without that because it's a hard road. You know, every business is a hard road. It's a long road, too. Yeah, it's funny how much people talk about business as a team sport, but we've been so conditioned by, you know, 12 years of school and maybe university and all sorts of other things in our lives to be individualistic and to don't collaborate. That's cheating. And, yeah. you know, like when, when somebody gets in the newspaper, when somebody gets on the cover of the magazine, they don't usually put the three founding partners. They usually pick the one face of the company. Yeah. Right. They like, how many times are we reinforced? You know, people, people talk a good game about you win as a team. Yeah. And yet there's so many feedback mechanisms that tell you it's about your success and about your thought leadership and about your profile and about your, how many followers do you have and whatever. Right. right. And as you were saying that, it did make me think like, I love my co-founders. My my one co-founder has been my mentor starting 19 years ago. The other one's my brother. The other wow, one's like one of my best friends. Yeah. Oh, yeah we've wow, been awesome. running companies and charities together for 15 years now. And the other one is one of my best friends. She We started working together 18 years ago. She ran our charity for us starting 10 years ago. And she's just like, she just got my back, you know? Yeah. And, and as you were saying that, it just made me think like, Am I really, if I'm really, really honest with myself, am I thinking as much about the band succeeding or is it about me succeeding? Is how much, how much time am I spending worrying about their profile and their success specifically like as the band instead of mine? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, obviously I, I wrote a book and I'm doing, I do a ton of podcasts and I do speaking gigs and you know, my other partners, you know, some of them do speaking and some of them do other things as well. But, you know, you also have to be pragmatic, right? Like you're not going to have four people on this podcast, <laughs> you know, right? I mean, maybe you could, but I don't feel like it's, it's your job to worry. Your job's to worry about the ink thing, you know, the thing that you started together and those decisions for that company should be made jointly taking everyone's opinion into consideration. That's the part to me that's about collaboration and sharing and, you know, being generous and making sure people have their own lanes carved out. The, the other piece I think is sort of extra, it's hard to parse them apart, but you, at, at some point you also have to worry like, Hey, you're trying to do a podcast. Are they doing podcasts too? Cause they could like, you wouldn't care if they did it, but you're, you're the one putting in that extra time to do the podcast. That doesn't mean you're not a generous partner when it comes to the other lines of the business. And they probably love that you're doing this because it helps, it lifts the overall business for them also. So that you're doing them a favor. It's not necessarily you have to sit there and pine over, is my profile yeah. bigger than theirs? You know what I mean? Well, and it's the difference. So for instance, my brother definitely doesn't want the limelight. And my other partner, John, is like more than happy to have me fly over the world and go to the events. He, he right. wants to stay home and go fishing. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And like, and Lindsay makes a great tag team, like, you know, me following her around or her following me around, you know, we different things we've done over the years. 
And yeah, I get what you mean. Like, it's not like we need to be the same. Yeah. Right. But for me, it was more the intention of like, am I being thoughtful about, am I being thoughtful about the band? Am I doing that on purpose? And just the way you said it made me want to like, make sure I'm doubling down on that. I, I think that's, I think you have to, it's a really hard balancing act, but you have to realize you're helping the band. I'm helping the band by doing this, right? We're totally. talking about mechanism. Oh yeah. That's useful for my partners. But you also have to stop and think if an opportunity comes in, maybe one of those guys should, you know, take it or maybe it's more suited for Lindsay to to cover something. So you can be mindful of it, but you also can't restrict yourself. You have to also business is like a knife fight as it is. So any edge you get, any opportunity you have to get out there and get exposure, you got to grab. Well, and to celebrate each one of us getting exposure in our own way or connections right. in our own way, right? Yeah. Like they, my partners are more than excited that I spent the last four years doing, you know, 475 of these episodes and that now we can put out, you know, 85,000 ads a month for free on, on our own show. Oh, wow, it's awesome. They're stoked about that, right? Yeah. And it's a good point. So- yeah, and I, I, you know, I took three years to write a book, so I have a platform to talk about. The other partners can do that as well. Your partners could start their own uh, podcast as well. You can support those endeavors as well, but they may have other endeavors that aren't this that you can still support, right? Yeah. They can have side like, hustles you can support, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We totally need to make shows that Lindsay is the star of. But I don't know if we could pay John enough to be the star of a show. Do you know what oh, I mean? All right. All right. And that's okay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Which is funny because I know he's going to listen to this episode. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, I'll just send so, this to my partners too. Yeah. So maybe we'll go for one last one here. So that's one of the things you attribute your success to. But there's lots of people that play nice with others and, and collaborate and care about the band. What's, what's one, what's maybe one last thing that, that you, you know, this kind of above average success that, that you've achieved with both personally and mechanism. Yeah, sure. So I would say beyond, beyond this idea of, of soulful and giving back, which I would implore anyone listening to really take to heart and think about because it totally changed the the trajectory for me of my career and what I thought success meant. And by doing that, ultimately we became, you know, more successful. So I would, I would say that's that's sort of one thing. But this other idea that has been significant and it's it's a way that I've always sort of thought about the business is this notion of playing the long game and thinking of, you know, we've been at it for 15 years now, thinking of there's not overnight successes don't really happen. You've heard that before. But stop thinking in terms of transaction and start thinking in terms of relationship. And building relationships and building your network over time will lead to success. And it's not about a win or a loss. It's about every, every encounter is building a relationship that can turn into something at some point. And that, that mental way of thinking makes you calmer and it makes you think about the relationships and the pitches that you have in a different way because you're not thinking it's, it's a zero-sum game of win or lose. You're thinking this is a new person to add to my network. And, and, you know, don't let those relationships drop to zero, stay in touch with those people and continue to expand your network to build a successful company. And, and, you know, that will happen over time. Yeah, that's a great one. That's a great place to end. I love that. All right, good. Well, everybody, again, go to audible.com, get the audiobook, or go to the soulfulart.com, get your copy of the book. Jason, thanks for taking the time to do this. It's really fun for me. It was awesome. I really appreciate you having me on. Okay. Bye everyone. <laughs>